beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to think for a moment about what it looks like when you peer through a kaleidoscope. Probably haven't done that in a little while. If you have little ones around, maybe you've done it more often because you end up stepping on it and you have to put it away or something so you manage to look through it. That goes on. But you certainly remember doing it as a kid or, or, or you know, at some point in your life where you can look through and see those colors moving around and changing and, and shaping around. And I want to think, and this is probably a somewhat synthetic, but think of three parts of that image as you're looking through that kaleidoscope. First of all, you have just the little tiny colors. You have the little tiny colors that kind of move and, and shape around, and then you have them kind of like molding together, right? They kind of come together, and, and then you have the whole thing that comes together as one image, right? So you have the little particular colors. You kind of have each section that kind of molds together and mirrors itself because there are little mirrors in there. And then you have the whole image that kind of wraps around and, and, and stays together. And I want to kind of explore those three levels, the individual kind of colors that you see in the kaleidoscope, those sections that kind of come together and, and, and mold together, and then the whole image itself, those, those three together. And the church kind of has those three dimensions going for it as well. So keep that in one hand. So okay, you can remember the kaleidoscope. The kaleidoscope's easy, no problem there. We've all looked through them. So keep that in mind. But also this one word that has come up over and over again in this section of the passage, from really from verse 3 all the way down to verse 16, what's that word that keeps coming up over and over again? That's right. Greet. Yeah, greet. Or if, if you, sometimes if you read uh, older translations, they'll say salute. Darby translates it as salute people, which is funny to think about as far as, you know, giving a salute or something, which isn't quite the idea. Uh, but what, what the idea is, is what we're going to talk about briefly here by way of introduction. So we have the kaleidoscope on one hand and this greeting thing on the other, where Paul's telling the, the saints in Rome to greet these different folks that are there. And later on, that we're not going to talk about later on in chapter 16, even people where Paul's at, probably in Corinth, to send this letter, are greeting him as well, are sending their greetings. So there's a... There's a greeting mentality, a, a nature of, of, this, of this greeting and hospitality in the church of Jesus Christ. So the central term is aspazomai, which I feel like John MacArthur saying up here, uttering Greek terms, because it seems like that's what he does about half of his sermons, is tell you about Greek terms. But anyway, aspazomai is this word, and it's, it's, it, it, you get it a lot, you get it a lot through the New Testament, and you get it continually here in our passage. It means to engage... Aspazomai means to engage in hospitable recognition of one another. To engage in hospitable recognition of one another in word and deed. I'll repeat that one more time. Engage in hospitable recognition of each other in word and deed. One particular dictionary says that aspazomai is a synonym of agapao. Now, you might not recognize any of those. Agapao sounds a lot like agape. It's the verbal form of love, right? So, this idea of love one another, this agape love that you would have in the church, is also, it's synonymous with this greeting, right? They're very similar meanings. And so, when we talk about hospitable recognition of one another, we're talking about recognizing not only the kind of individual members, each of you, me, the members of the church, but recognizing the works that God's done in them as well. And don't we see that here through this passage? Paul's, you know, greet so-and-so, and this is something they've done. This is something they are. And the truth of the matter is, we are what God makes us. Right? We are, we, especially in Christ Jesus and redemption, we are who God makes us. And so when someone says, hey, congratulations, great job. Or, you know, if you happen to have the, whatever someone might congratulate you for, say, this, you did a really good job here. 
you know, the first instance is, well, praise the Lord. This is a gift from Him. Uh, but also thank you. Right? I think we can learn to give and, and receive this kind of recognition one to another without having our heads get puffed up or thinking that it's somehow it's come out of us because the Scripture asks the question, what do you have that you did not receive? All the way down to your very life. You didn't give yourself life. God did. You didn't give yourself this body you're running around in. God did. You didn't give yourself your mind and understanding. It's all gift. It's all grace. And and as as we work through our lives and develop those gifts, we recognize that God working in us, both the will and the do, and so we can give thanks to God and praise to God, and there's room for recognition among one another as well without pride creeping in. Now, Paul wants the Roman Christians to greet, that is, to engage hospitably with hospitable recognition to a small host of saints. Now, as I counted through the passage, just trying to count the individual names, and some people aren't named, and sometimes they're like you know, families and groups associated with people, but the individuals named, even if not specifically named, but individuals referenced, I count as 29. So there are 29 people, specific people, actual members of the church in Rome, that Paul says, greet them. That's one. That's one. So you've got these 29 particular people, and then you know, some people associated with them as well, that Paul wants... The, the saints in Rome to greet, to recognize hospitably in word and in deed. I want to think that, I want you to think, that the church is, on the one hand, this institution and organization all through time and all through history and all through the, the, the you know, geographically all around the world, you bet. But it does come down to individual members, actual people. People sitting in the pews, people coming to worship, people loving each other, people serving each other, people trusting Christ and resting in Him, people suffering for Christ, people having victories in Christ. All that's the case, but it's people, right? individual people. And then we, we, we meld together in the body because we're not just individuals absolutely, but we are individuals to be sure. And so we have 29 of them listed here. We must lovingly, we must learn lovingly and hospitably to recognize one another in the church, as individuals, as we come together in Christ Jesus. In word and in deed. In word, we greet each other. Sometimes we do that, depends on how, you know, thinking of my own self, walking in here ten minutes before the service begins. I don't have much time to greet anybody. I'm too busy trying to get organized up here and this sort of thing. But if I were wiser in my use of time on the Lord's Day, uh, coming midday, I'd be here earlier so I could make sure that we could... Greet each other. I could have words for you. I could have words of encouragement. Good to see you. How are you doing in the Lord? Whatever. Just this words of encouragement, words of recognition that are hospitable one to another. Sometimes we have to purpose at that. We're going to work at it to have those words for people to, to come and have that, um, again, that loving and hospitable recognition of one another in word to edify each other with our words, but also our deeds. Purposefully to work for one another, to serve one another. Give gifts to one another. Extend kindness to one another. These are the works. So we are to engage in hospitable recognition, loving hospitable recognition in word and in deed. This is the kind of nature of the church. This is how the church gets along and moves. And so as we, that's, now we have all that in hand, we're going to look at this kaleidoscope, these kind of three different levels of the church, operating it with this hospitality, operating with this way of greeting and loving one another and building each other up. So first, the detailed colors. The detailed colors. The little, the little colors in that kaleidoscope as you're looking through as the bright little colors. 
These are members, individual members of the church, individual people, individual saints, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And each of these saints, each of these people, individually, God's given particular gifts, a particular personality, particular characteristics. And that was the case there in Rome, where you have a bunch of different people, 29, that Paul points out and says there are different things going on with these people, and recognize them, saying greet them and recognize this, greet them and recognize this, but they're different things. So we have to recognize there is a diversity, and this is, I think, obvious enough for us as we think of the church. Maybe that's the first thing we see is the diversity. So we're all kind of different, coming from different places and uh, that sort of thing, uh, coming from different church backgrounds, coming from different maybe understandings of the Bible that we've been taught, and all those sorts of things. So there's this clear range of diversity among the people of God, but the little detailed colors are important. The individuals in the church are important, and their particular gifts, their particular personalities, their particular characters are important, and that goes for us here at the Bible Presbyterian Church uh, in St. Helens now. That we, this applies. Each of us are individuals, and God's given you your own personality, your own characteristics, your own skills, and, and your own foibles, and, and, and such too. And that's something we recognize as the individual little bursts of color are particular people. Real people made in the image of God. Male and female created he them. So what I want to do is run through, and this, this is my answer to try to figure out how to preach this passage, by the way, and not so much focus on the people, because we know very little about the people or mentioned, but focus on the attributes of those people and, and see those quickly as we, examine, uh, as we examine them overall. So look at verse 8. We'll start there. So greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Our fellow worker in Christ. Actually, I got verse 8. I missed that. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. That's verse 8. We'll start there. My beloved in the Lord. Now, Paul, and this is something we'll pick up, I think, at our family camp coming up, uh, where Brother Ed, who's not here, will be teaching us and preaching from Philippians. Well, Philippians is one of those books where Paul had a really warm relationship with the Church of Philippi. But you, if you read that letter, you think, oh, well, there, there's, no, there's no lack of love here. There's no lack of warmth and, and friendship between the Philippians and Paul. They love each other, and it's obvious from the letter. So there's a way in which, as Christians, we love the body. right? So if, so if someone's a Christian, that, that kind of brings them into the domain of our love, because it brings them into the domain of God's love. <laughs> That's what it is to be redeemed, is to move out of, from the wrath of God to the love of God. Right? That's what this redemption is. And so as someone believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, as they come to Christ, even if they, you know, we've got some issues or have some questions, or that guy's weird, or he smells funny, he does his hair weird, he doesn't brush his teeth, doesn't comb his hair, whatever, right? We have all kinds of things that we have people and say, oh, that's kind of weird. We still have a basic love, a basic love for the body of Christ that should help us overcome some of those difficulties, just kind of human difficulties that pop up in relationships or between people. So all believers are beloved, but some are beloved more. There are certain sweet, loving relationships we have in Christ that aren't like other ones. They're special. And I want you, Christians, to pursue those particular kinds of relationships where there's just enormous love in that relationship, where you love one another in Christ Jesus. And in that love, it's... There's so much fruit. There's so much glory. There's so much happiness in that love we have one for another. 
And pray and seek for beloved Christian friends. Pray for those friends. And then seek those friends. Try to, try to develop those relationships so you can have those beloved friendships, just like Paul has here. And also, think about it, especially some of you younger folks. When you think about someone to marry, if you're getting married, you're going to find a spouse. Find someone like this, right, that is much beloved to you. That you, you have a, a friendship in Christ Jesus and you love each other in that. Because that will take you farther than anything else. It will take you farther together when you're together in Christ, loving Him, loving each other. It will take you farther than having common hobbies or having grown up in similar socioeconomic situations. Or all that. Those things are part of the whole mess. But the centerpiece of the whole glorious mess is being loving one another and loving one another in Christ. And so you seek a spouse, seek that. And as you have a spouse, pray for that and seek that. You would be beloved, much beloved, even as Paul is much beloved here um, in verse 8 with Urbanus. Sorry, with Ampliatus. Get the names wrong here again and again. So pray, and, pray for and seek beloved Christian friendships, especially in a spouse and in close friendships where you, you love each other in the Lord. You're in the Lord together. And that's so important. In verse 9, which I've been seeking to get to over and over again, we, are gonna, we have a fellow worker in Christ. A fellow worker in Christ. Now notice Paul, who's a great worker in Christ himself, to be sure. Right? Any, any study of Paul's life kind of leaves you slack-jawed in a, in a sweat. Uh, it's like, what did he do? How much did he do? How much labor? How much traveling? How much writing? All this, he, he did a lot. He's, he, so he recognizes hard work when he sees it. But do note... It's non-competitive. He's not worried about other workers working hard. He's like, good, go. I'm better than him. I got more conversions than him. I made more disciples than him. I built more churches than him. Those sorts of competitions that we can get into in the flesh. We don't see that with Paul. He says, hey, they're hard workers. God bless them. Keep working. Because we all operate, we all work under one head. We all serve under one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're just workers for him. We're just part of the body serving the head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, it's non-competitive. Now think of yourself, if you can manage to do something like this. Many of you guys probably have fantasized about it a thousand times. In battle. And, and you're in battle and you're in a skirmish and you got your gun and you got your boys and you're going. And, uh, and you only see so much, right? You see this kind of limited battle and you're doing this thing and you got this firefight and you're in the middle of it. Now think about, especially maybe older uh, or from above, the general sitting back on the hill above. Right? The, the, the main general looking over all of the battle, all of this thing going on. You can only see just a little bit. The general sees it all. And he can move people around to the point where in the skirmish it might not make sense to you. You might say, what's he doing up there? Right? And, and in the case of just a man, you might be right. The general's a fool. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't see what's going on. But that's nowhere near the case with our Lord Jesus Christ who is the great general of the army of God, of the people of God, of all the little spots in the kaleidoscope and what they do. Right? It's Jesus Christ who equips and does that. We serve under that head, that sovereign, who makes no mistakes, who puts us exactly where he wants us, equips us exactly how he wants us to be equipped for the work that we have to do. Warren Baptist has on their sign... Mostly try to ignore Christian, you know, church reader boards because they're depressing. This one was all right. It said something like, God's got work for you to do, Ephesians 10.2, or uh, 2.10. Right? That we are created in Christ Jesus uh, 
for good works that what? God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I don't know how goofy Arminians read that stuff. It's like, I guess God just has these general things that we walk in and we decide. And it's like, no, no. God's organized this thing. He's put you where he wants you. He's equipped you how he's equipped you. Partially so that you cry out for more. So that you can be more effective as a co-worker with us together. As we work for the Lord together under one head. The great general who sees the entire war. And will have victory even if we can't see hardly any of it. In the foxhole we're in. So recognize in all of that that we are we see very little. Our point of view is very limited. And the access we have to the battle plans of the whole war are right here. This is what God's given us and says, Now trust me. Trust Christ Jesus, the great general of the armies of God, who will lead himself and his people to victory. So we are all fellow workers in Christ Jesus. What that means, as an offshoot, an implication, is that your life, your ministries, are particularly important. Because no one else can do them. Right? God's given it to you to have the spouse you have. God's given it to you to have the parents you have, the neighbors you have, the children you have, the co-workers you have. No one else has them. You have them. And you're a co-worker with the rest of us in the Lord Jesus Christ, so get busy. You have ministries you need to do, and no one else can do them for you. So be busy after it. Be, as we say a little bit longer, a little bit later, be a hard worker. Throw yourself into the task that God's given you to do in your life, with your relationships, and your skills, and the, and the powers He's given you. And trust the Lord Jesus Christ to win the war and to take us forward. So He's a fellow worker in Christ. Verse 10. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Approved in Christ. It's an interesting word, and it really means tested and found genuine. Tested and found genuine, or tried and true. It's been tried and it's, it's true. Uh, approved in that sense. So it would appear that maybe Apelles went through some trials. He, he, was, he had something of baptism of fire in his life that he had to suffer through, and through the trials he showed himself approved. He showed himself the genuine article, a real and a faithful Christian. We see the same word used, just maybe as, a, as an offshoot here, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and this is around the, you know, the issues of, uh, of worship in Corinth, both the Lord's Supper, uh, and also head coverings are addressed there in chapter 11. But Paul says something like, well, there, there have to be divisions in the church or among you, he says, uh, because that way those who are approved, the approved, can be manifested. Right, those who, who have been tried and found genuine can be recognized. Okay, so there's trials do that to us. Church divisions kind of do that to us. They, they make us pull together and say, well, what does God call us to do? How can I be faithful? What does God call me to do in this word? And if we do that, we're faithful. And I think that Apelles is just a man like that. He's been through trials, or maybe he stood for the purity of the gospel, purity of doctrine, like we see there in 1 Corinthians 11. But in any event, hang in there. Because God gives not just appellate trials to prove that he could be approved and genuine, but Christian, he gives you trials. And we also have to recognize that we don't all get the same level of trials. Some people get just super fiery trials all the time. It seems like there are Christians where God just like relentlessly gives them something on their shoulders, something to deal with, something, some thorn in their flesh. And others maybe have an easier way. Not quite so many trials. 
We don't get to choose any of that. Right? God gives these to us. God's the one who organizes and has decreed our lives, and he gives these to us. So let me tell you, Christian, hang in there. When it's a struggle, when it's hard, hang in there. Not just because in your own strength, hang in there because the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself all the way up to death for you. That you should be raised up in him. So that you should suffer like him unto glory. That's the trajectory. Suffer unto glory. So we suffer together. That's part of life in the church. And some people suffer more than others. But don't, don't give up. Hang in there and cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord for strength. Cry out to the Lord and say, why God? I don't get it. He'll teach you. He'll help you get it. As you trust Him and as you, as you work in Christ. And of course, do not just, again, a side note. All of these, it reads like um, Ephesians chapter 1. In Christ, in Christ, in the Lord, in the Lord. As you read all these, all these people are what they are. In the Lord. And so we have this one here, uh, that he is approved in Christ. So there is the way in which Christ has strengthened him to overcome these challenges and show himself the genuine article. But then, on the other hand, how is it that we're approved by God at all? How does God look at a sinful human and say, you're okay. You're okay, buddy. And it's only by the merits the life and death of Jesus Christ. It's only through the mediator that God looks at us at all outside of his wrath. Because outside of Christ, we're under the wrath of God Almighty. In Christ, God says, I approve of you. You're my child and I love you. It's in Christ that that divine approval comes. And then in Christ, as God says, thumbs up, you're mine, I love you, then we start to suffer. (laughs) That's, That's the love of God in our lives to get us to suffer and to end up being genuine, to be tried and found genuine, even like this brother was in the first century. So, Christian, hang in there. God has amazing plans for your suffering, for your trials, to show you and to make you an approved, genuine article in Christ Jesus, which would be a tremendous benefit to everyone around you, every Christian around you, to see you suffer in trials and still keep your head up and still serve the Lord and move through those things. Verse 12. Greet those workers in the Lord... Tryphena and Tryphosa, both ladies, greet, oh, that's good enough, and we have the workers, and then this next one here, greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Okay, so we have these two ladies who are workers, and then another who is a, a hard worker in the Lord. We talked about this a little bit last week with Mary, and it's just a little bit before in the text here, where Mary's mentioned is she's worked hard for you, for the church in Rome. She's a hard worker. These two ladies here are also hard workers, and the guy mentioned after Paul commends hard work. Paul, here obviously in this passage and other places, commends hard work. It's good to work hard. Now, somehow that seems like a tough sell to us because we're lazy. Occasionally we like to work hard, but more often than not we kind of don't. Paul says, no, this is a good good habit. It's a good characteristic of of a Christian to be a hard worker. And that can be in the case of tent making could also be in the case of the gospel. These are different works that Paul has to do, and he's a hard worker. And when it comes to making tents with his hands and getting paid, he's a hard worker. He gets it done when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel and traveling around the entire Roman Empire trying to spread the message of Jesus Christ. Also a hard worker. And so were these folks as well. And so when it comes to our lives, God calls us to work hard day by day. right? To get on and get up in the morning, get after it. 
Get after your work. Make sure you get your work done. Be a hard worker. That's a good thing. Not to kind of have this sense of pride in what you've accomplished and, you know, this sort of thing. Although I think there's a little room for that as far as, you know, accomplishments that come. But at the same time, we give thanks to God, not only for the capacity to work hard, but the energy to do it and the fruit that comes from it. So we say thank you for the whole thing. So it's all issue of grace, but it's a grace that we develop and that we grow in this hard work. So be encouraged in that. Be encouraged to work hard all the way to the end. You don't get to give up just because you're old and tired. Anymore do you get to give up because you're young and inexperienced. Or because you're middle-aged and crazy busy. Or whatever. Those are all realities of life. Work hard. Figure out what God has for you to do. Whether it's tent making on the one hand, gospel, ministry on the other. And get get busy. Get busy and, and work hard. Now do note this. That hard work here is not at odds with the next thing said. Okay, Paul commends these guys for working hard. And then he comes around in verse 13 and says this, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Okay, chosen in the Lord. Paul never shrinks from referring to this often maligned, that is hated, truth that Scripture proclaims very clearly. God chooses people. The elect are Chosen by God. That's what the word means. That's what goes on there. God chooses people and therefore doesn't choose others one way or another. And the, the people are chosen unto salvation. Others are passed by or chosen not for salvation, however that goes, however we talk about that. But Paul doesn't shrink from mentioning it. He throws it in the list here. Right? Like any good Armenian would. Just throw that chosen thing out there and of course not, right? They wouldn't talk that way. Uh, the, the, generally the Armenian, or at least the kind of goofy Christian version is God chooses us because he saw that we chose him. How crazy is that? But that's what's thought. You get that a lot. Oh, yeah, well, God, God rubber stamps our decision. Our, our decision in time is rubber stamped by God in all eternity. Got that? Wrong. Right? Our decisions in time are led by God's eternal decree. His love for us, which is his election. When it talks about God choosing people, what it means also is that he has loved those people from all eternity. Election and, and the love of God are tied together that way. But do note here that he doesn't shrink back from lifting up this election thing. Just putting it in the list. Neither should we. Now I want you to take just a moment and contemplate. If you're in Christ Jesus, if you're resting in Christ, that he's your righteousness, he is your life, you're waiting on him to return so your life can be brought into fullness, God chose you from all eternity. Before anything was created, God loved you and chose you individually. You. But that's settle in a little bit. And don't sit there and go, it's not fair that... Just, just sit there and think of the reality that if you're in Christ, God eternally chose you out of His love. And let that roll around in your soul for a minute. Let it strengthen your soul and make you weep at the powerful, eternal love of God. And then you scratch your head and say, well, what gives? Why me? How me? I mean, maybe other people, probably not, but why me? And God says, because I love you from all eternity. And we say, okay, okay. Yes, yes, sir. 
And that's one of the glorious realities of this doctrine of election, is it touches down in our lives with enormous comfort. Enormous comfort. We had a camp a couple of years ago that was, I think it was called, the, uh, the Comfort of Calvinism or something like that, which I thought was kind of silly, but as far as the name. But the truth of it is very, very true. When we stop and work on this sovereignty of God and election and, and, and predestination and those things, we find ourselves totally depleted before the eternal love and power of God. But we find ourselves amazingly encouraged because somehow, somehow, God chose me. doesn't make sense, but I know that it is. And because God chose me, therefore, I can live for Him. I can give it up for Him. I can serve Him. I can pour it out for Him. He loves me, and He gave Himself for me in Christ Jesus. And... Back to the connection between the last point. There's no odds, nothing at odds with, hey, great job working hard, and you're chosen in the Lord. The sovereignty of God, the absolute sovereignty of God, does not preclude our actions. In fact, it's the only way within that context that our actions make any sense anyway. And Paul says, good job working hard. He doesn't say, good job letting the providence of God occur around you passively. <laughs> Just sitting there letting things happen, because it's going to happen, it's going to happen, Right? There's a rationality that people get. It's not that the rationality is a false rationality. It's just it doesn't have enough information. It doesn't have a full picture. It has one truth of God that he's sovereign and then runs with logic and starts pushing that out in a way that the whole of Scripture doesn't give us to push it out, if that makes sense. Right? And say, well, if God chooses folks for salvation, then you can get the logical question of Paul. Why evangelize? Why do anything? Why do this? Why do that? God's going to do it anyway, right? You get these, these thoughts, and again, they're, they're logical at a certain level, but they're not false. They don't, they don't take the whole of Scripture together and try to understand it. They just take one thing and like narrowly drive after it and make, make foolish comments about that thing. But, okay, all that to say, Paul says, this guy is chosen in the Lord. There's real election, God's sovereign election, and good job working hard. Those labors that God decreed that would come to pass, those good works that he planned ahead of time that these guys should walk in, good job walking in. Good job powering into those guys. Right? Because God's made us to participate and be active in this work of redemption in the world. Right? He's brought us into it as beings made in his image with a great and glorious mystery of doing what we want. And in the end, we want and do whatever God has decreed. We will want and do, yet we do it freely. We do it of ourselves. Right? So there's this wonderful mystery that kind of comes together there. But Paul doesn't seem to have to want to sort it out at all. He just says, good job working hard. You're chosen in the Lord. And brings those two things together, and maybe we can understand how that goes as well. So more quickly here, and thinking broadly, we have Rufus here who's chosen in the Lord, and his mother, and your mom. Uh, who is the mother to me, Paul says. Right, so we have this warm relationship between one of Paul's friends and the mother, who's also a friend of his, but also a mother to him. And it makes me think of not only my own mother and the kind of gifts that she, through the long and arduous years of my youth, uh, sowed into me, but also other monks, other, other people in this congregation, I can, I can see and think, uh, but through my Christian life. Other older ladies, friends of my mom, or uh, moms of my friends and things like this, who've kind of been maternal. They've, 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 they've given me succor and strength and encouragement and the kind of things that moms do. And Paul had those as well, right? That's, that's in the Church of Jesus Christ that we get to have these relationships with each other and really enjoy uh, the benefits of, say, motherhood at large. 
or we could say by extension, fatherhood at large. Right? Some of you older guys being able to reach down to some of those younger guys, if I can count myself that direction, and say, hey, you need some help, or you let's co-get together, let's be, be paternal, you old men, and be maternal, you older ladies, and connect with the younger ones. Right? We see that through the scriptures in a number of places, but we see Paul, in his own personal life here, re- rejoicing in that relationship, that Rufus' mother had been a mother to him as well. So motherhood, Christian, what a terrific blessing. God gives us enormous gifts through our mothers, and also through our fathers, recognizing that mothers and fathers are not the same thing. We come at it differently. God's God's made men men and women women. He's God made men fathers and women mothers and put them together and say, now have babies and disciple them in the Lord. You have both of those parts at play, not just two interchangeable units, like I think this goofy, goofy, like individualistic thing we got going on in our culture now where it doesn't really matter anything. We're just these units that plug in and make a family because we're all in the same house. No, no, no. God put marriage together, man and wife together, to have children together and train up those children and to nurture the mission of the Lord. That's the pattern that's there for us. And we also, not only in the, in the family itself, but in the family of God, get to enjoy these relationships as well. Have a surrogate mother in the Lord Jesus Christ, or father, or brothers and sisters, and so on. It is the family of God. And with that, of course, also we have, he mentions, um, he mentions uh, family, mother, and sisters. Right? That while, while sovereign grace, the grace of God, uh, well, he, the election of God cuts across families. We see that in Romans chapter 9. Right? Uh, we have uh, Isaac and Jacob. And so, okay, well, those are separated by the sovereign decree of God. We have Jacob and Esau. Those are separated by the sovereign decree of God. Well, they're both children of Abraham, both children of Isaac. What about the covenant? Right? What about God being a God to the children? And God says, I'll handle this how I want. You take my promises. You take the covenant and live in it. I will decree what I will decree, and I will save who I will save. I'll soften who I'll soften. I'll harden who I'll harden. Okay, that's God's answer in all this. And who do you think you are to even raise a question about it? That's Romans 9. But, but even, though, even though he does that, his decree is cut across these maybe natural connections that we have that he's made, yet it also takes those up into the kingdom. Right? Sisters and brothers and mothers and fathers, the family itself. We have household mentioned a couple times in here, right? There's a household there. That's a natural connection that God's made that he brings into the kingdom. Right? He brings that into the kingdom. He doesn't do it just you know, completely like every family that someone saved, the whole family comes to Christ. But he does operate in families. He does operate in that natural connection between husband, wife, and the progeny and extended family. It says God's always operated with the, in those terms and still does as well. So we have this great blessing of the, the family of the church and enjoying the particular relationships and the benefits of those relationships in the church, of mothers and fathers and sisters, and God brings these even into the church from our families, right? from the, the natural realm as well into the supernatural. So these are the little colors. These are the detailed colors. You might say, oh, good, we've got two more points. They'll be short, very, very short. Because the whole passage is this. The whole passage is detailed colors, right? All these little particular people, 29 of them, uh, in Rome, that Paul says, greet them. Greet them for this. Greet them for this. And greet them for this. So each church, any given church, has a, a number of details. A number of particular bright little colors that are you, right? That are individual people serving the Lord that God has called. But that's the case for any given church, but it's the case for this church as well. Each of you. 
our members, bright little colors before the face of God in the kaleidoscope that is the church. Under the sovereign control of God, each one of us. But as far as the swirling boughs, is what I was thinking of the the, uh, kaleidoscope as having swirling boughs like a tree, but as I looked at one a little later, I thought, oh, it doesn't really have that. Nonetheless, what it does have is all these little individual colors that are sparkling and moving, but it has each little section. It kind of, you know, kind of oftentimes they will have six sections or eight, depending on how they put the mirrors and, and the blockers in there. And so, okay, well, there's the swirling realities of, of each section, right? We've got all these little colors that come together in a section that come together in the whole. And when Paul says here at the end of this little passage in verse 16, greet one another, greet one another, okay, church? So you're going to greet all these particular people that I've mentioned and all the things that I've mentioned about them and be thankful for them and, and greet them, be hospitable to them and loving but do it to each other as well. Right? Be bound together in greeting one another and, and, and serving one another and in, in living that way uh, with this loving connection we have one to another in the church itself. So that's, it's not just individuals, but we're bound together in the local church. Right? The church of Rome, or this, this particular church he's writing to in Rome, is a single, particular, local church. And all the small little colors meld together into that one church into like that one section of the kaleidoscope. So here we learn, like in the family, to bear with each other patiently. We find that in the church. Like, granted, we choose to come to church. Right? This, is a, this is a volitional issue. No one's making you. It's not like it's a parish and there are like, you know, there's discipline, whatever, coming if you don't come to the parish, you know, operation or the parochial operation. You're free to come or go, right? It's, it's, it's that sort of thing. And so it's a voluntary association. But on the other hand, it... it it's weird because we might not necessarily voluntarily associate with each other outside of church. I might not choose to say, I'll go hang out with Bob. After, you know, apart from being bound in the local church, Bob's okay. Well, it gives me the idea to do that. What I mean by this is, is kind of it's similar to this with the family. A lot of people like to say the family is the place where you can just be yourself and, and get along and everyone gets along. But that's only partially true. The family really is a place that God puts together. We don't choose the family. We don't choose the kids we have. Even if we adopt them, though we choose them, we don't really choose what they are and their character. And we're all stuck in the same place together for years. Okay? Well, that, that tends to make things hard, not easy. <laughs> you know, if you could just kind of choose your association and say, this guy's really chill and he's really easy to get along with. Yeah, let's go hang out. You could probably make that work without much difficulty. But that's not what a family is. <laughs> a family is God saying, here's this one, deal with that. Here's this one, deal with that. You know, you get this struggle, and you learn how to you learn how to actually build patience because the people try you in your family. It's difficult. That's how families go, um, and I think the church is similar to that. The church is similar to that, though it is voluntary. Yet we might not, outside of Christ, decide we want to voluntarily connect with one another. But we're put in the same body. God's put us all together here in the body of Columbia Bible Presbyterian Church, and so therefore we get to learn to deal with each other. We get to learn patience as we are bound together as one local church. And think now then of these local churches, um, each of them being like a little section of the kaleidoscope, and God saying, I'm going to bring all those together into my one church. And now we get that from the last part of the verse. We'll get the Holy Kiss in a second. All the churches of Christ greet you. There's the Roman church, that little section of the kaleidoscope, and all their little details and all the people. But every other church is just like that too. 
filled with little colors and individual people and individual relationships and the service of God there. And it all comes together. All the churches come together as the church, the church of Jesus Christ, the one Christ purchased with his very own blood. And so we have this range here of the individual Christians bought with the blood of Christ, the local churches bought with the blood of Christ to the church entire, the one church of Jesus Christ bought with the blood of Christ. That's the very center of the kaleidoscope, the whole thing coming together, seeing the whole thing at once. So in Christ's church, we are individually members of it by faith in Christ, by faith in Jesus. We're the little colors. And take the other analogy, we're just having the little skirmishes in our lives that the great general knows and sees. We're just the little colors. We're bright, but we're part of a local church. Christ has called us into communion together as the local church to love one another, to serve one another, to greet each other with a holy kiss. And the holy kiss is just an ancient way of greeting. As far as that goes, not a big deal. Any more than hugging or shaking hands or something might be now. Just a way to kind of greet each other uh, in, a, in a warm and inviting way. So we have the individual realities before God, but we also are bound together in a local church. This body right here, the Columbia Bible Presbyterian Church, or the Calvary Lutheran Church, they're a particular body of Christ as well. they got all their little colors in this little section, and God brings all of that together in an unthinkable way in the church of Jesus Christ, the body for whom he gave his life, the ones he gave his life for and that God raised him from the dead for, the church of Jesus Christ. And all this at each level. Is connection to Christ. The individual, you individually, trusting Jesus Christ, resting in Him, forsaking the world, forsaking sin, and giving yourself to Christ. As a local body, we do that together. We work together. These colors kind of meld together and make cool shapes. And then the churches of Jesus Christ come together, and we are the church, the called of God, the redeemed of the world. And all that, at each level, is a gift of Jesus Christ, of His death, of his resurrection, of his enthronement, of his pouring out the Spirit on us and saying, listen up, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. So be ready. Be wise. Keep your eyes open. Be sober. And wait and work. Christians, be excited about that. Your Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to finish this work he started at the individual level, at the church level, and at the whole church level. He will redeem, in fact, as far as that goes, the world and the cosmos, too. We didn't get there. Right? There's a lot of work that Jesus is doing. He's doing it in you and through you, in us and through us, and in the church altogether, and through the church altogether. May the glory and praise be to his name, and may we be built up as a congregation and individually in Christ Jesus. Amen.